Conversations from the World of Allergy, a podcast produced by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm your host, Dave Stukas. I'm a board-certified allergist and immunologist and serve as the social media medical editor for the Academy. Our podcast series will use different formats to interview thought leaders from the world of allergy and immunology. This podcast is not intended to provide any individual medical advice to our listeners. We do hope that our conversations provide evidence-based information. Any questions pertaining to one's own health should always be discussed with their personal physician. The Find an Allergist search engine on the Academy website is a useful tool to locate a listing of board-certified allergists in your area. Finally, use of this audio program is subject to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Terms of Use Agreement, which you can find at www.aaai.org. Today's edition of our Conversations from the World of Allergy podcast series has been accredited for continuing medical education credit. The American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education to provide continuing medical education for physicians. Information about credit claiming for this and other episodes can be found at education.aaai.org forward slash podcasts. Credit claiming will be available for one year from the episode's original release date. Today, we are pleased to welcome Sunit Jarawala, who will discuss the rapidly expanding field of mobile health technology. Dr. Jarawala is an Associate Professor of Medicine and the Director of Research within the Division of Allergy and Immunology at Albert Einstein College of Medicine and Montefiore Medical Center. Dr. Jarawala is the Vice Chair of the Health Informatics, Technology, and Education Committee within the Academy and serves on the Editorial Board for the Journal of Allergy and Asthma. With over 40 peer-reviewed publications, Dr. Jarawala has extensive experience as an NIH-funded researcher investigating novel application of technology-based interventions for patient care. Neither Dr. Jarawala nor I have any relevant relationships to disclose. Dr. Jarawala, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, and welcome to the show. Dr. Stukas, thanks so much for the opportunity. I'm very excited to be here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Excellent. Well, before we begin discussing mobile health, or it's also abbreviated as mHealth, can you just take a few moments and explain what that term means? Absolutely. It's a great question to start, since there's so many buzzwords in the health information technology space. So first, digital health represents the use of information technology to support health and health-related fields. And digital health is a broad term that includes mobile health, or mHealth, and other emerging areas, such as electronic health record systems, and artificial intelligence. mHealth is a category within digital health and is the use of mobile wireless technologies, such as mobile phones and tablets, to provide health services and information. So that sounds like it covers a lot of ground. Um, can, can you describe a little bit how the realm of digital health has evolved over the you know, past few years? Absolutely. So, uh, so many examples. So car phones and landlines from a few decades ago evolved into the mobile phones and supercomputers that we now carry in our pockets. Floppy disks evolved into cloud-based servers that can hold billions of gigabytes of data. The common theme here is the widespread access to these technologies by patients, providers, and hospitals. And technologies continue to rapidly advance. The next wave of technology in healthcare will be even more personalized, engaging, cost-effective, and powerful. So it really, it seems like it's the application of the technology that's been expanding naturally for all of us and just really applying that to our health care. Does that sound accurate to you? Absolutely correct. Um, application as well as accessibility by patients and providers. 
All right. So this is a exciting times, and I'm sure it's evolving even more rapidly um, currently. Now, do we have an, any sense of how well these mHealth technologies have been adopted? Uh, do patients seem to like them? And if so, what features uh, seem to be most desired? So patient adoption of mHealth tools has been increasing steadily with about 80% adoption in 2015 to nearly 90% adoption in the past year. And nearly half of patients are using mHealth apps compared to just 15% in 2015. However, uh, there are challenges. So the sustained patient use of apps is quite limited. A recent asthma mobile health app study had, uh, for example, 41,000 app downloads at baseline and only 173 six-month active users. So we need to do more in terms of usability. And the trending mHealth tools are wearables, remote patient monitoring tools, gamified apps, and also tools that enable telehealth visits. All of these have been linked to high patient satisfaction, although adoption is not yet widespread. Yeah, do we have a sense of what features people seem to like the most? Does it seem to be more wearable technology or the ability to access their electronic medical record on their smartphone or something along those lines? Right, so a lot of these are emerging concepts. Uh, interoperability, um, for example, uh, patient uh, app data into the EHR will be a uh, big in the next few years, although uh, it has been difficult in terms of uh, uh, the access. Same with wearables and uh, patient monitoring devices such as uh, electronic inhaler sensors. So, uh, right, uh, especially with features, uh, patients seem to like the tailored personalized features such as games, which are engaging, as well as uh, tailored push notifications. And soon wearables, remote patient monitoring devices, and uh, EHR uh, interoperability will be um, more accessible. And you mentioned a key concept of how there's a ton of people downloading these apps, but um, very few uh, are actually using them on a regular basis. And if, if if it's anything like what I do with my phone, it seems like a really good idea in the moment. I download the app, I open it, I use it a couple of times, and then I forget about it. Uh, do you think that's generally what's what's going on here as well? Right, right. There are a lot of data, for example, just the first use, and then within six months, I think less than 10% of patients are actually using these devices, using these apps. So a lot of it depends on, um, you know, which features are important to patients, how um, involved they are in the development process, patient feedback, and uh, app uh, uh, iteration based on uh, uh, how the patients uh, perceive the features. Well, I'm going to pick your brain more on that in just a minute, but let's go back for a second and talk about physicians and medical providers. Are, are we jumping on the mHealth bandwagon as well? Um, and if not, what are some reasons why? Sure. So over the past few years, we have seen increasing adoption by physicians and providers. And currently, almost 95% of clinicians feel that mHealth apps can improve patient outcomes. mHealth um, has, of course, you know, great potential to improve provider workflows and also improve the quality of health, uh, quality of care, and patient safety. But we're not completely there yet. There are thousands of mHealth apps that have not been validated or developed through a user-centered design which really means obtaining patient and provider feedback in the development process. Also, uh, less than 1% of apps have been clinically validated. Many mHealth interventions lack reliable data collection and reporting, and others hinder rather than help provider workflows. Other mHealth apps lack basic privacy and data security features, and also uh, engaging features that really promote long-term use. So these are important barriers to adoption, although opportunities for improvement. And it seems like with 
like you mentioned, a lot of these apps not even being validated or lacking certain key features, it seems like it's impossible for any of us to really understand the vast array of options that are out there and then to fully vet them. Um, are there any you know, resources currently available to assist medical providers in doing that? Right. Um, so, I mean, in terms of our repositories, uh, there are several being formed at the national level. And then, of course, um, you know, provider uh, professional organizations such as uh, the Quad AI, the Height Committee, we really look at the apps um, critically, look at the published literature, and then can always, um, you know, t help sort things out. And it's my understanding that as far as, you know, any sort of governmental or FDA regulation, that unless it's really a class two medical device, so some sort of attachment that uh, does some, you know, special reading or uh, offers diagnostics or something like that, that these really, they're not regulated on a higher level as well. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, the FDA, um, they're still adapting the guidelines and they're varying uh, uh, parts of the spectrum, for example, uh, enforcement discretion. And then they have uh, the 510K and then the full uh, PMA. Okay, so uh, stay tuned, I suppose. Absolutely, absolutely. In the next you know, year or two, we should get much more uh, direction in this space. Now, as our podcast is, is geared mostly towards patients and medical professionals who deal with allergic conditions and asthma, can you give us some examples of mHealth technologies currently available for these conditions? What kind of features do they have and, and how are they being used? So existing ML technologies include remote monitoring devices, such as uh, electronic inhaler sensors and also electronic peak flow meters. And these can promote medication adherence and also enable uh, care coordination. And then we have the patient self-management apps for asthma, allergic conditions, which include uh, symptom trackers and wearables, text messaging-based um, adherence support, educational apps that might include educational videos, push notifications, games and quizzes, and also electronic symptom diaries and asthma action plans. That sounds like a, a vast array with very different platforms that are, people are using. Um, in your experience with your own patients, are, are people gravitating towards one or another, or does it just depend on the person? Right, it depends on the person. Um, just really what's what's customized for the patient's use, and whatever the patient sees is most important based on their pain points. Uh, in the asthma space, we're seeing uh, gravitation towards um, electronic inhaler sensors, and these uh, technologies will be, you know, greatly enhanced in the next, you know, few years through um, other uh, more sophisticated features such as uh, artificial intelligence and uh, uh, interoperability EHR uh, integration. Now, can you speak a little bit about the sensors? That seems like an intriguing prospect, especially with asthma, where we know that difficulty with adherence is, is quite common. What are some of the features that these sensors offer? Does it, uh, is it a reminder system, or is it more just track usage? Right, so all of the above. So uh, these, these, uh, these sensors are uh, Bluetooth-capable, and some have uh, innate Bluetooth abilities. So they track on medication adherence, with every actuation of uh, the inhaler, and then patients can self-track uh, medications, medication use, and on the other side, the providers, outreach workers, can uh, also track on their end, and then potentially reach out to patients who have uh, suboptimal adherence. And then a few of these sensors also have uh, GPS-based um, air quality alerts, and then also uh, some sensors are embedded into the uh, medications themselves. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Uh, has anybody developed an app that actually can pick up the medication and hand it to the patient so they use it on a consistent basis? Not yet, but uh, hopefully one day. 
<laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> uh, we'll talk offline. <laughs> now, let's go back to the this important concept that you mentioned before, because I'd really like to pick your brain on this one. And we, you talked about how rapidly this field has expanded in recent years and some challenges with widespread adoption. So talk to a little bit more about some of these challenges that, that patients face in adapting to these new technologies. They're downloading them but not using. Um, what are some reasons why? Right. So, you know, first and foremost, um, access to technologies uh, is always uh, an important barrier. Although, fortunately, most of our patients have access to smartphones and tablets, unlike in years past. The other issue is in finding reliable technologies. Since there are so many apps developed and launched on a daily basis, this is where provider recommendations, also recommendations from professional organizations can really help. The other issue is in the usability space. So many technologies have not incorporated user-centered design, which involves obtaining user for example, patient-provider feedback through every stage of the development and implementation process, and even before development starts. And this design process can really guide the target features and content in a patient-centered manner. Do we, do we have a sense of, are these mobile health technologies being developed by actual you know, asthma experts and clinicians, or is it more startup companies and people don't fully understand um, the, the medical aspect of these conditions, or is it sort of a, a mixture? Right, definitely make sure. So uh, apps are being developed by um, you know, uh, asthma experts, providers, as well as by companies. But there has been this you know, documented divide between the end user and, and the developer. So really the target features, the patient's pain points, and really customizing the, um, the content is so important. Now, we, we know that access to the mHealth technology is important. So people need to have either smartphones or the ability to connect to the internet or things like that. But what are some other optimal patient characteristics that might make some people more likely to use these M Health technologies compared to others? Are there any you know, psychological aspects of this, perhaps? Right. So we always think of innovation adopters and the diffusion of innovations. For example, the spectrum ranges from innovators to early adopters to the early majority to late majority to laggards. So when starting to develop and implement an M Health technology or tool, Early adopters are the most influential group of patients in using the product, providing feedback, and helping with dissemination through their influence channels. So their key characteristics of early adopters include being tech-focused, willing to take risks and experiment, even though the tool might be rough around the edges. And then as a the product evolves, the early majority becomes the most important group in sustaining the health tool. But the key take-home is that there's no one-size-fits-all approach it's really important to obtain user feedback from multiple users through all stages of the development and implementation process and rapidly iterate based on feedback from uh, all parties, from patients, providers, healthcare systems. Yeah, so it, as you describe more and more of this, it just seems so complicated on, on many different levels. And I think it would uh, behoove all of us to really keep this in mind of it's not one size fits all when it comes to um, you know, feasibility and acceptability and things along those lines. So thanks for that sort of background into that. Definitely, especially because our healthcare system is so complicated. So so many different stakeholders, and it's always important early on in the process just to determine, um, you know, which types of features might might help the different stakeholders. Do you envision anything in the future where it would be, you know, at the time of, say, office visit where uh, these technologies are discussed and then 
uh, office personnel actually take the time to run through them and, and try to get a better sense of which ones may be more likely to be adopted by that individual patient? Yes, absolutely. Uh, right now we are seeing uh, more app repositories being, uh, being created, and then these could be uh, personalized to the patient's, uh, patient's use as well. Absolutely. We, we've talked about how these mHealth technologies can assist patients, but how can they help medical providers? So these patient-facing tools can also supplement in-office clinical care by delivering uh, education and adherence support, which just might not be possible within the time constraints of a clinical visit. And mHealth technologies can also collect patient-generated data, which can then be integrated with the uh, EHR system, and providers can use the point of care to help with clinical decision-making. As a result, mHealth tools can also help with shared decision-making. Uh, then there are provider-facing tools, which can help to improve clinical workflows and reduce documentation time, while also helping to reduce provider burnout. Is this something like uh, during a visit, somebody has an iPad or, or similar device in the office while they're you know, waiting for the physician or nurse to enter the room that gives them education they can interact with to get information? Is that sort of what you're alluding to? Absolutely. So on-site um, uh, health educators, as well as the um, digital health uh, parallels, so educational tools that can deliver education. Then we also have uh, the concept of um, emerging concept of virtual scribes, which have been shown to really reduce uh, documentation time, as well as uh, pre-intake, uh, pre-clinical intake uh, registration systems. So in my typical allergy practice, I have maybe 50 um, intake questions, but these can be entered before the visit and then enter the EHR system just for uh, improved clinical workflows. So this really just can infiltrate all aspects of clinical care. This is really exciting. Definitely. Optimize efficiency, otherwise reduce documentation time and overall physician well-being, absolutely. And how do these technologies address important features such as maintaining patient privacy and secure data? I'm sure that's a concern among many people. Right, right. Uh, great question. Especially among uh, you know many uh, ML tools, um, unfortunately, um, you know, many do not um, adequately address patient privacy and data security. So uh, ML tools with um, identifying information can take precautions such as, uh, uh, not to get too technical, but um, encryption in transit, encryption at rest, and also tokenization. And these tools should also have easily accessible terms of use and privacy policies. Just in the uh, development process itself, uh, usually to really optimize security, there's always penetration testing to evaluate for potential security lapses, which can be fixed. But um, just to kind of summarize, uh, many ML tools lack these features, so it's really important to vet these out properly before patients use them. Is there any easy way for somebody to know whether those features are present or not, or do they really have to take a deep dive into each specific application? Right, definitely a deep dive. Uh, there are these guidelines now, security guidelines. They have a checklist that can help uh, with the process. For example, if an app has a terms of use privacy policy, if it has back-end data encryption, but um, again, you know, it becomes quite technical, so just a, a deep dive and looking at it more uh, closely. Uh, and I'm sure you know, a lot of folks, including myself, may not be, you know, understand what a lot of this language means as well. Along those lines, what would you say to a patient who expresses concern about Big Brother watching if they were to use some of these technologies? So since these are patient-centered technologies, patient preferences must be first and foremost. For example, even mistrust of an mHealth tool 
could lead to a lack of adoption and use. However, I would try to explain that many mHealth tools have patient privacy features, help providers to deliver and optimize care, and could also help to improve clinical outcomes. At the very least, the tool could be worth a try. And are there um, aspects or applications where there's no private data that is entered or stored or anything like that? Is it, are there uh, options that just have more general information or medication tracking, things along those lines? There are, for example, medication um, adherence reminders, as well as um, uh, educational tools. However, with the more general tools, then um, you know, one lacks the um, uh, personalized more features, so there is a, a trade-off. Can you describe your personal experience with developing and then studying the use of mHealth technology for patient care? And uh, most importantly, have you learned any lessons that uh, you can help our next generation of app developers? So uh, since 2014, our team at ISA Montefiore has been developing, implementing, and evaluating a patient-facing mobile health app for adults and children with asthma. And our solution helps alleviate the critical time constraints uh, faced by outpatient asthma providers. Throughout the process, we assembled a multidisciplinary team, which includes asthma clinician researchers, a behavioral scientist, a statistician, software programmers, uh, study coordinators, UI UX experts, and an animation studio. And from the start of the project, we sought patient and provider feedback to guide our development of the app's features and content. And the current features include uh, tailored educational content, personalized push notifications, the collection of patient report outcomes, and uh, EHR integration. Our uh, pilot testing has shown that the app favorably impacts process and clinical outcomes, such as asthma control. And we are currently enhancing the functionality of the app and conducting randomized control trials to further validate the platform. Our um, main uh, take-home lessons are uh, the importance of a team-based effort. Otherwise, uh, the need to iteratively refine the tool based on user feedback and also promoting long-term use through behavioral content and usability testing. That seems pretty involved. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like it. Can you can you help our listeners better understand? You know, what's the timeline from sort of conception to implementation? Is this something that you did over six months or six years? Right. So uh, this was the first app ever developed in Einstein Montefiore. So uh, it took, um, I'd say, longer than we'd initially intended. <laughs> but otherwise, initially with a PowerPoint, and then uh, explored multiple funding sources. And then once the grants came through, then we hired a programmer, and then just enhanced the content. We uh, initially had patient and provider feedback. We've gone through about 300 uh, iteration cycles based on changing guidelines and really optimizing the uh, educational experience. And then once we had the prototype, then it was all about pilot testing, uh, recruited patients. Then we had uh, the pilot tests uh, for adults and kids. And then based on our prelim data, then the current RCTs. And now we are looking towards more um, enhanced features such as EHR integration and and the next wave of uh, of this field, such as um, digital phenotyping, personalized medicine. So the app has come a long way, but it's it's been so exciting, and I just can't wait to really. Uh, the next steps will be a lot of fun. Oh, it sounds like it. And what year did you start working on this? We started in uh, 2014. Okay. And for our listeners, uh, this is 2019 right now, so that gives us a good sense of, of really the dedicated like you mentioned, broad team-based approach to development of these apps. It's a, it's a lot more involved than just I have an idea for an app and then putting it out there two weeks later. 
Um, and, you know, I know there's going to be a lot of variability, but can you give a, our listeners a sense of, you know, the cost involved in developing some of these apps? And, of course, it will all change based upon the features and things like that. But is this something that can be done for a few hundred dollars, or is it going to cost $100,000? Right. So nowadays, uh, uh, you know, it's a great question. Nowadays, there are a lot of services out there that um, even without technical expertise, one can build apps. So that's an easy, easy way to do it. Um, even our initial app, which is you know, purely a PowerPoint-based, we had a homemade videos. So a lot of just kind of sitting there in the exam room, just filming videos on our phones. So it was really exciting. But um, you know, it's definitely a broad spectrum. For example, uh, you know, the minimal app to you know, very, very enhanced features. But um, I think the take-home also is kind of just how many, how many features you really need, and really, you know, what's sufficient for um, your intended purpose. Okay. Um, so I, good luck, and we can't wait to see what you find. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Yeah. Now, I want to go back to something you mentioned early on and build upon that. Um, you mentioned that a lot of the currently available apps uh, haven't really been validated or studied in any way, and they're just out there. There's there's thousands and thousands of these that people can download and start using right away, and they may be inaccurate or contain you know, uh, incorrect information. In regards to research surrounding mHealth technologies, what types of studies have been published? And in particular, have they been shown to positively influence truly meaningful outcome measures, for instance, emergency department visits for asthma? And you know, essentially, is this all marketing and hype, or do we think that there's actually something clinically meaningful here? So uh, most apps haven't been clinically validated. About 1% have been. So uh, remote monitoring devices, especially electronic inhaler sensors, uh, have been linked to improved asthma control and a rescue medication-free days. Otherwise, symptom trackers, which measure a call frequency, uh, have been shown to predict asthma control and a quality of life at three months. Text messaging apps for medication reminders have been linked with a improved asthma quality of life. And while these results are promising, very few mHealth apps have been linked to reductions in asthma, emergency department visits, and hospitalizations. And there are several reasons for this. For example, many of the studies have been underpowered for utilization outcomes or have a short follow period. So it sounds like there's folks that are are studying these in some manner, um, but not along the lines of the randomized controlled trials that you're conducting, for instance. Do you see a path where uh, we need to see more and more proper studies done on these apps in order to build the evidence surrounding them, or do you think that it's just a waste of time and we'll never get to that point? I think it's so important, for example, uh, uh, even you know data regarding usability, app usage, uh, behind the scenes, app analytics, and then we also have the uh, pilot testing, which could help to power the um, RCTs, and then the next step, the larger pragmatic trials regarding just real world use. I think is really really important. So uh, also the need for um, uh, rigorously um, designing studies, which can be challenging with this uh, emerging space. And I know that um, the, the journals associated with the allergy organizations and the national meetings uh, have devoted space to these issues as well, and I, I'm sure that they'll continue to um, you know, peer review any, any studies that are submitted to them. So hopefully we continue to see researchers out there that are interested in doing so. I agree. Studies as well as guidelines, parameters, I think that'll be the way of the immediate near future. And how do you see the mHealth field evolving over the next few years? Sure. So uh, app EHR integration will become more streamlined, and this uh, will enable uh, personalized medicine-based approaches. 
And we'll also realize the value of unstructured data elements within the EHR and apps through a natural language processing. Also, ML tools will include immersive patient engagement features that include augmented reality, mixed reality, and virtual reality. And apps will increasingly support virtual visits and artificial intelligence-based decision support to improve clinical care. And along those lines, are you, do you foresee, as you mentioned, patients, patient characteristics being entered into the electronic medical record and then algorithms behind the scene sort of um, recommending specific treatment options based upon those characteristics, or can you expand upon that a little bit more? Right, definitely. So patient-centered, uh, patient-generated health data will be entered into the apps, and then this data will be fed into the EHR system, and then the EHR will, um, or uh, another uh, uh, platform, will at least help to uh, analyze this in a more sophisticated way uh, through AI, uh, and then hopefully predict um, health, health outcomes, uh, risks for uh, readmissions risks for uh, asthma exacerbations at the point of care. Oh, that would be truly amazing. And, you know, I know that a lot of our listeners are many, I, I don't know how many, but there are people out there that this technology just scares them. Uh, it's, it's different, it's rapidly evolving, um, and it's scary in many ways. Can you talk about some of the risks as well as benefits and possible even adverse effects of mHealth technology? Sure. Regarding the risks, uh, so many apps out there, how do we know which one to pick? For example, very few have been clinically validated. Some apps make medical claims not really supported by clinical outcomes data and published studies. So the key is to really identify reliable and clinically validated technologies that are usable by patients. But however, so many, so many benefits, including a positive impact on clinical outcomes, improved uh, patient knowledge about their condition, improved patient engagement, as well as improved process outcomes, such as patient provider satisfaction, and ultimately improved provider workflows. And then possible adverse effects include uh, data privacy, security risks, and patients' over-reliance on apps to self-manage their conditions. Apps uh, do not replace doctors and can instead supplement the clinical care. They can instead facilitate shared decision-making between the patient and provider and have such great potential that way. It's also uh, so difficult to keep up with the latest technologies and policy updates and for this reason, uh, I would encourage providers to uh, participate in uh, mHealth-oriented interest groups, such as the Quad AI's uh, Height Committee, in order to create an ecosystem of shared learning. By joining such communities, uh, providers can really avoid reinventing the wheel and instead learn from the experiences of others in the uh, mHealth space and uh, contribute to this discussion as well. I love what you said about how these apps and these technologies do not replace current standard of care, especially given the lack of evidence demonstrating benefit for the vast majority of these. Is that something that you think should be a standard sort of explanation between medical providers and patients in regards to these? That'd be great. Absolutely. Apps are here to help patients as well as providers and really uh, uh, facilitate communication between the two. And do you have any words of wisdom to help patients and medical professionals better understand the optimal uses and limitations? Do you have sort of a, an elevator speech surrounding this complicated milieu of mHealth applications? Definitely. So there's definitely you know, no one-size-fits-all approach. It's uh, finding the app, finding the platform that really uh, speaks to the patient, speaks to the provider's uh, uh, clinical workflows. The other aspect is also the um, user-centered design the usability nature of the app, 
So it should be usable, should be user-friendly by patients. Other, other part of it is um, the clinical validation piece. So the app should be uh, supported by, by evidence. Okay, great. Thank you. You know, today we covered a lot of ground. Uh, I think that for each one of these talking points, we could probably spend 30 to 60 minutes really going uh, into the weeds, but I think this was a fantastic overview for our listeners just to give them a sense of the broad range of currently available mobile health technologies as well as a lot of the challenges that exist and potential future applications. So thank you again for taking the time to be with us today. Um, I think this is really helpful and very interesting. Is there anything else you'd like to add? So, uh, thank you so much for the invitation. I really enjoyed our conversation. And uh, Dr. Sukis, thank, thanks so much for your efforts in uh, putting this together and for your leadership in the uh, Quad AI community. So really appreciate it. Well, thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please visit www.aaaai.org for show notes and any pertinent links from today's conversation. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or Google Play so you can receive new episodes in the future. Thank you again for listening.